everyone, this is Alec here from Learners. Um, Want to bring to you a brand new series that we're doing. Um, now, most of the stuff that we do at Learners is focusing on how to get better at your craft, how to level up in your role, whatever that happens to be. Obviously, we're a little bit focused on research. But this new series is a little bit different. Here, we're going to be talking to folks who have transitioned their career and their work in a very different way. Now, a lot of us have had this experience maybe when we've been working where working at one company or maybe a handful of companies have been frustrating or difficult, and we see change that, that we want to exist, um, and we feel a little bit unclear about how to actualize that change. Well, one of the ways that you can do that is by going out on your own and starting something new, whether that's becoming a contractor or setting up a little agency or starting your own company to build a product. And today, I'm super excited to bring our very first episode um, with one of our past UXRConf speakers, who we've finally had the chance to meet in person. Uh, unfortunately, he had, to, he had the pandemic yeah. conference experience, um, but uh, who's going to come and talk to us about his experience building his new company called Actual, which is a very exciting company in the crypto and payment space. And we're going to talk a little bit about his journey into doing that and also some of the specific things that he's built and designed um, so that you can kind of learn a little bit more about what that's like. So without further ado, um, Atik, it's so wonderful to have you here. Thanks, yeah, for, thanks thank, for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be in Toronto and, and meeting in person. Yeah, finally. It's yeah. been, I think, <laughs> almost four years since we were originally supposed to meet, but we finally made it happen. We made it happen. It's super exciting. Um, before we get into the stuff that you're working on today, uh, you actually grew up not so, so far from here. Um, I'd love to know a little bit about what that was like, where you grew up, um, you know, and if you feel any of those experiences have kind of influenced your journey into design and then later on into starting your own thing. Definitely, definitely. Um, so I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is uh, about a two hour drive from Detroit, which is the more commonly known city in Michigan. Um, and yeah, kind of growing <laughs> up, uh, you know, it's, it's small town vibes. Um, so uh, I stayed. I stayed locally for college. Um, had my first job in, in Grand Rapids as well. Um, I actually started my career in marketing, um, and so marketing design was a thing that I kind of initially knew about. Um, and it was through the experience that I had um, at that um, like agency that I was at. It was an IT kind of consultancy. They call themselves kind of like a small scale Accenture. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, I would work on a lot of like sales enablement materials for like the, the sales reps to kind of go out and sell. Um, I don't know, uh, like different um, like IT uh, you know pa packages of like we're going to like you know reconstruct your data center and put you in the cloud to like we're gonna help you build a mobile app like very like you know taking these manufacturing companies uh, you know kind of like these boomer like companies uh, into into innovation in some way. Um, but yeah, through that I would I would see things and I think it was one moment I was building a deck and they'd put something in there about like UI UX. And I'd seen this like screen that they had made for like the Mall of America. It was this mobile app that like helped them scan um, tickets at like uh, they have this like uh, amusement park amusement park for like Nickelodeon or something. I think it was that moment it clicked to me. I was like, wait, design's actually used in like other experiences outside of like marketing and like ads and things like that. And it was it's one of those things where you know interfaces just become so inherent in your life. You just kind of are using them. You don't actually sit and think like someone actually had to like build this. Right. And so. Um, it was almost that moment I had this like aha. I'm like, wait, this is actually a place I could apply my skill set. Uh, I think that the technical part of, of 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 tech has always been kind of a little intimidating to me. And, and granted, I, I don't feel that way as much anymore. But um, it just felt like okay, I think this is a space that I could really um, build a skill, 
um, that could become useful um, and, and, and be applicable um, in, other, in, other, in other surfaces. Um, I, so I think it was in that moment I decided I, I really wanted to kind of dive in there. Um, and I think that was really the, the big kind of pivotal moment for, for me to kind of move away from um, my hometown in some senses, uh, but then also uh, into, into a career that I ended up just feeling a lot more fulfillment in. It's funny that you mentioned that because one, one of these exercises that I sometimes will, would like to do is, you know, when I meet somebody, I go look at their LinkedIn profile and it's like, everything looks like this super well laid out story and so obvious and everything. And if you look at yours, right, you've got, uh, you've worked at Datadog, you've worked at Stripe, you've worked at all these super technical companies. Yeah. And it's funny hearing you say that as a contrast to like, um, kind of intimidated by the technical stuff. And you've worked at some of the most technical engineering oriented companies in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that is kind of... Uh... How, how did that transition happen from, I'm intimidated by some of this technical stuff to I am designing some of the most technical products ever? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think honestly, uh, Part of it is that, you know, there's a lot of competition in, in design. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of people who were amazing at, at, at doing this job. And um, yeah, I guess like kind of early on when you think about, you know, having a job in product design, I remember one of the earliest exercises I did was I took like a job description at like Facebook and it was kind of like, okay, these are the types of things that I'm gonna need to like have, you know, these number of years of experience, these number of like shipped products and so on and so forth. Um, but I think that's every, what everyone's trying to do, right? Is they want to work at the sexy product, the fun, cute, you know, things, um, which I think is great. But at the same time, I think the, the brilliance of design is that you're creating experiences for people who deserve, you know, great quality and craft products. Um, and that doesn't stop at just consumers. It, it, it also extends beyond to like technical pro uh, products as well, like serving developers and serving finance teams. And I think um, naturally just what ended up happening for me was that it just seemed like a really like viable path. It, it seemed like a space that I was able to sort of um, go get into. Um, and I think just really using that experience to, to do the thing that I love, which is like building great experiences, learning a lot about something, and um, at the same time kind of seeing the, the, the results and the output of that, of that uh, you know, that, that labor um, with, with, with people using the thing and, and really liking it, I think is, is exciting. And um, I don't know, it doesn't have to be, you know, you know, an app in the app store that, that does that. It can be a dashboard that, you know, developers are looking at, you know, seven, eight hours in the day or, you know, finance teams are using to like close their books. Like all those things um, really matter and um, design plays a big role. 100%. Was there ever a moment, you know, prior to starting a company where you finally felt like, damn, I made it, right? Like I, I am I am here, I belong here. Uh, and this is this is where I'm supposed to be. And if so, like, what was that for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, because it's certainly like a roller coaster every day. It's like, you feel like, yes, like I'm getting to do this thing every day, but then you're like, but wait, let me stop thinking that way. I have a million things I need to get, get to right now. Um, but I think the moment where it just kind of felt like, wait, I'm, I'm actually doing this um, was probably when we just first saw like one part of our end-to-end -end experience. I think when, you know, seeing the design kind of take shape in, in an actual product and being able to click it and, and have a backend connected to it, you know, I remember the first time like we connected a wallet and then, um, you know, we mapped it to an accounting system like QuickBooks and then we saved that account or we saved that wallet and then we calculated all the realized gains and losses and we started to see all the transactions loading in. It was like, wait, this thing actually works and, and we're the ones that built this. <laughs> That's hysterical. So, so tell me a bit about, so the career was you started out, you're doing, 
visual, basically visual design for marketing and sales efforts in some like IT consulting sort of thing. You end up at Datadog, then you end up moving over to Stripe, um, and then you start this company. What were some of the the first of all? Tell us about Actual. Like, what is it? What does it do? And what were some of the key learnings from those past experiences that help influence what it is that you're working on today? Yeah, for sure. Um, so high level actual is just a better um, and smarter way for businesses to pay bills um, and manage invoices in crypto and fiat. Um, so our big thesis is that we're moving into a more a multi-payment rail world. Um, so there will be instances where it makes sense to pay a bill in fiat, especially if you're maybe in the States and you're wanting to send you know, an ACH transfer to someone. But let's say you are interacting with someone in Argentina where there's really you know, super high inflation and you know, access to the dollar is relatively difficult in traditional banking rails. Um, and stable coins actually make a lot more sense to kind of hold your money until you need to off-ramp and spend it. Well, now all of a sudden crypto makes a ton more sense to be able to send that developer or send that marketing agency. Um, and then at the same time, I think you know, part of it is the, the inflation problem, a part of it is the access to the, to the bank accounts. And the other part of it is just the fundamental inefficiencies and in how money moves um, with, with wires. And you know, I, I always kind of compare it to like, Airplanes, you know, airplanes don't, sometimes you get a non-stop when you go internationally, but a lot of times you have to make stops. And essentially what happens with the wire transfer, it's, it goes to these, all these different banks, they're taking a cut, sometimes the money gets lost, like your bag and things like that. And so really our big thesis is how do we um, make crypto finally usable in this, uh, you know, business context, um, while at the same time making finance teams feel comfortable with the idea of being able to use it as well. And so um, I think that's kind of the big premise of, of what it is. Um, more simply put, it's kind of like accounts payable and receivables automation, which is the specific finance process um, that's required for the finance teams to, to do it. And, and um, really the, the way they would like to think about it is, you know, what's going to drive adoption of crypto in, 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 in the business context? It's going to be finance leaders. They're going to be the ones that champion this. But that's never going to happen until they have products that are built for them and that work in a way that they need them to. With receipts and invoices and exactly. tracking and expense management, mm -hmm. that makes a ton of sense. Were there things that, from your time at whether it was way back early in your career or more recently at like Stripe, that kind of told you like this is the moment that we're gonna have to like we're gonna do this thing, we're gonna do it now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was a mix of like seeing how difficult just traditional financial operations is, like in fiat alone. Mm -hmm. um, that just made us go, wait, this has got to be even harder in crypto. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a mix of seeing that in like the, the Stripe world. Um, but then we were like, well, who are these like Web3 finance people? And, you know, traditional, you know, UXR, you would want to go and like use a service that would help you find these types of professionals or you would have, have a user base that you could like contact. But um, we didn't have a lot of that. So what we ended up doing was just going on LinkedIn and like looking up, I don't know, does, you know, Avalanche or Polygon have a CFO or like mm. some kind of finance leader. Are there accounting firms that have crypto practices? And we just like cold outreach to all of them. And I think we'd sp spoken to over like 100 at this point now, um, just in like customer discovery. And that's what we really just saw. Like there's a massive need here. And at then, you know, we always like to ask that magic wand question. Like if you had a magic wand, like what, what would you do? And they were all like, we need APAR. Like, mm -hmm. can you build, um, there's, there's a product called build.com that they all like um, are very familiar with. They're like, we need web3build.com. And so it wasn't even like we had to do a ton to like figure out like what exactly was needed. It was like, it's such a desperate need. It was like, okay, this is what we need to do now. I love just like putting my research hat on. Um, I think one of the things that a lot of times 
we get a little bit lazy on when we do research is who we're talking to. And if you aren't really thoughtful about how you do the recruit, yeah, everything that you learn is trash, right? It's, really it's like fruit of the poison tree, right? Is which is a legal term, which is if you gather information illegally, it can never be used in court, yeah, or whatever. And it's kind of like the same thing where all the information that you get might look legit and look informative, but if you didn't talk to the right people, it wasn't going to work. And so it's interesting that you that you guys were very thoughtful about exactly not just you want to talk to finance people but specific types of finance people who already have a certain understanding yeah. about what this technology is and and how to use it so i think that's that's super smart um i'd love to if it's okay with you can we dig into some of the the materials around how you crafted the story in your deck yeah yeah for sure um so this is something that we wanted to be really thoughtful about um so candidly we we tried to start a company before this um, called Mango DCA, and, and the whole concept there was like we wanted to help people dollar cost average into crypto. It was a consumer platform, um, but it was also a really hard story to kind of pitch. I mean, you've got really massive platforms like Coinbase and Kraken, Binance, and so on and so forth, and it's kind of like decentralized apps that do this type of thing. And so, I mean, naturally, you know, you want to be able to differentiate yourself. Um, you want to be able to like sell this great product, but at the same time, I think a lot of fundraising and and and, and this is like building a narrative mm -hmm. more than it is anything else. Yeah. Um, and so we just had to really spend a lot of time there. And so um, we work really closely with, with, uh, with this team. Um, Elon Miller is, is the guy that we work pretty closely with on, on helping us craft the story. And one of the things that we did was he, we interviewed, like he interviewed in the, each of us individually to kind of tell our stories of like our, like our backgrounds, um, why we came together, you know, why the three of us specifically decided to start a company and like kind of starting with these like foundational things all the way up to like, and what we imagine this thing becoming and how, how would this like scale into a billion dollar business and um, kind of filling in on the blocks in between. But like, instead of just like jumping into like, I don't know, how to build a pitch deck and following the 10, the 10 screens <laughs> of like, we're gonna do a slide on competitors. And it was like kind of taking a really um, bottoms up approach to, to this um, and really crafting a narrative that, that made a ton more sense uh, to be able to like pull emotional cords and, and we told that story. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say that it was an easy process. Like investors weren't all just like throwing money at us because we spoke with, you know, over 200, uh, I think 50 investors. Nice. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it was sort of like um, when it did work, like it was because we had this, this great narrative. And, you know, one of the, the key learnings from, from our research, uh, I'm sorry, like at that time that we spent building the story was like, you know, our aspiration for what actual is, is like what Stripe, Kind of became for developers and what figma you know ultimately became for designers like actual wants to become for finance people mm -hmm. like if you think about finance like there isn't a product that comes to your mind of like oh my god like finance professionals will put stickers on their laptop or on their you know bumper stickers on their car for a finance product like i don't think you've ever driven and seen a quickbook sticker mm -hmm. or anything like that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, and so it's like, what does it take to sort of build a product that can just be loved by, by finance teams and, and professionals around the world? Um, and at the same time, like just thinking globally about, about that problem, I think the other thing of, of constraint is that like finance tools traditionally like are, are kind of constrained by like, I don't know, regulatory bodies in certain areas, you know, like if you are um, an accounting tool, maybe it's like you have to like figure out the accounting laws in, in one place, like in the US and in Canada, 
Um, but the cool thing about crypto is that it's, it's sort of global by nature and, and you know, accounting kind of varies, but accounts payable and receivable are sort of universal as well. Like you need these processes whenever you spend and, and, and send invoices. And so that's the other really cool thing about it too, is like how we can think about opportunities so much more globally. Um, but yeah, I'd say that in terms of crafting the story, it was, um, yeah, just, just really thinking about more of, of the aspirational, of, of what we want to become, um, thinking about ourselves and our journeys and how that kind of folds into it. Um, why we are sort of a really good team to build this um, and then kind of letting the product and, and its features kind of be more like secondary uh, to that as well. Sweet. Um, well, let's take a look at that and then um, let's go through some of the slides and you can kind of talk about them a little bit. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. All right, let's take a look at this. Yeah, so, uh, so this is the cover page. Um, another thing that we, you know, tried to, to hone in on was just like language. Um, I think that there's a certain way to talk about what you're building with finance team, but if we were to just put accounts payable and receivables, automation, but I think that a lot of investors would maybe not understand what that is. And so it's sort of kind of framing things in a way that is aspirational, but at the same time is easier to kind of grasp. It's always funny to me how so much of this has to go, like when you're communicating to an investor, it's like the right level of abstraction. Yeah. If you call it accounts receivable and payable, that's too, like it's too low of a level of abstraction versus yeah. you saying it's a new financial operating system, yeah. right? That's like the right level of high pie in the sky kind of thing. For sure. And it, and it kind of maybe doesn't like put you so much in a box because maybe they think of accounts payable as such a small part of a problem. And maybe that's where you start. But like, I think the, the grander vision is more of like how you can take over streamlining that the financial operation, which, yeah. which makes that term kind of make a little more sense. Like yeah. Um, yeah, and then kind of just framing the opportunity around um, you know, just how large B2B payments are broadly, but then how stablecoins specifically are kind of trending trending upwards. And if you think about, you know, if, if there ever was a reality where more of stablecoins were used in, in B2B payments, like what would that take? And Did you design this slide? Uh, so we worked with a designer on, on okay. kind of building this together. And so we kind of collaborated a lot on, on putting these pieces together. It's really interesting, like the... the um, you obviously have some, we, we, I've always found, because I'm not a designer, mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, I, every time I write text on like a slide, yeah. it feels very busy. Yeah. And the way that you've used like so much white space to draw attention to like this curve of payments. Yeah. Uh, is really smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to just kind of like compare. Um, yeah. The, the, the juxtaposing these, these two, these two, these two um, kind of metrics. Um, they kind of help paint the story of like, well, what would it take, you know, mm -hmm. sort of thing. And then, um, then we go into some of the the customer discovery that we did. And so we talk about, uh, you know, an accounting firm, and then talking about how most of what happens in financial operations is in fiat because of the established infrastructure. And then we kind of highlight. They talk about that. They hope that that more of it can happen in digital assets, but the tools are lacking. Um, and then here. Um, he still asks people to pay their bills in fiat because the tooling, again, is more robust. And then when they deal in USDC, getting those numbers gets messy in QuickBooks. It's already, you're, like, if you go to, whether it's like Sequoia or YC or some of these, you know, here's how to do a, a deck. Yeah. You've already broken like half the rules, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's telling a very clear story, right? Where, you know, said, high, high pie in the sky, this is this big thing that we're doing. Mm -hmm. You've created this like very clear question almost not even so much a problem but like look these are payments this is how much payments is the crypto stuff huge delta right like instead of like why our tool works it's 
framing them already as what would have to happen to like yeah. get to cross this chasm of this becoming a much larger proportion of that, yeah. right? And so it's already a different kind of question. It has nothing to do with mm -hmm. your specific company, but it's putting them in the right mindset to say like, you know, well, there's nothing, even with these quotes, there's nothing actually stopping this from happening other than tooling yeah. in, in the opinion of the people who do the work. Exactly. Yeah, because these are the real um, influencers and the real um, yeah. adopters of, of this. And so it clearly seems like they have a difficulty kind of managing it. And so um, then we kind of get into this, this visual that we talk a lot about this, the impossible puzzle. Um, this game of telephone that has to happen between tools. Um, at some level, you kind of have to deal with this with, with other things, right? I mean, um, in design, we were just talking about, you've got like Figma and you decide to kind of use Adobe <coughs> for certain things. Um, but if you think about finance, it's like all these tools kind of have a little bit of information. Um, and what happens is things kind of get lost in translation. Um, and so really what we wanted to do was how do we imagine these kind of desperate puzzle pieces kind of more collective? Or better yet, what if we could just remove a couple of those puzzle pieces and kind of streamline that um, to make information kind of go from actual into the accounting system. Mm -hmm. um, and so we really love this visual because it kind of helps paint um, the, pic like the picture of the problem, the fragmentation, um, with like how solving it is streamlining things and how that ultimately makes it a lot easier for uh, finance professionals. The funny thing about, um, again, someone who's seen a bunch of decks mm -hmm. and uh, has made a few myself, the actual visual design of this, so you did this transition where you had, so there's four puzzle pieces, janky, you fit them together. Yeah. And then you do tr this transition where you morph three of them into one. Yeah. And because of how beautifully and elegantly it, it flows and it's designed, I never think about why that, like obviously it makes more sense to have one piece instead of three, yeah. right? I'm not even thinking about how like, is that technically possible? Yeah. Is that feasible? Does that make any sense? It's just like, yeah, this is simpler than that. <laughs> Who appreciate would not it. want that? Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, and combining them is, is a bit difficult. We're, we're I, I'm sure. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we talk about, you know, what, why you want to combine the puzzle pieces and, you know, why do you want to make this easier for finance teams? and you know, being a, a finance person in, in this new environment sucks of dealing with crypto, especially because finance professionals are not classically trained in digital mm -hmm. assets, right? These are people that have gone to school to study basic accounting and, you know, you were writing debits and credits on paper and it was all cash and inventory um, and, and just how it makes their lives living hell when they have to manually review, you know, on-chain data. Like, it, it's actually crazy that that's what finance teams are now having to do at some level. So, so they're... They're actually struggling with a lot of the detail-oriented nature. Like it's it, it's not such a one-to-one. -one. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, not at all. And then there's, there's the whole month-end process is now just like filled with even more reconciliation because you're dealing with something that just kind of fundamentally lacks context because it's not started um, with the same type of process that you have with like the fiat tools. Um, how did you how did you figure that? Oh, like you're not a CFO. I don't yeah. think any of your co-founders are CFOs or no. anything like that. Yeah. How did you sort out the fact that like this is actually a very meaningful, frustrating smorgasbord of a thing that that is uh, that all these finance professionals are very irritated about? Yeah, it's a great question because I think I remember at one point um, one of my my co-founders when we were kind of trying to figure out what we do out of out of Mango. So like, Teague, you build accounting products. What if we do accounting for crypto? And I'm like, 
what does that even mean? You know, yeah. and, and so when we talked to the finance professionals, like we, we had some inklings of like, there's a problem, but, but what's the problem? We thought it was payroll. We thought like maybe we needed to make payroll easier for crypto. But instead of kind of having an opinion, mm-hmm. we just tell us about what it's like in a day-to-day of, of a finance professional in, in crypto. Um, walk us through the tools that you use today. What do you like, dislike, what's challenging? What do you wish you could change about them? Um, you know, how do you imagine this evolving? Like what, what types of things would make your life easier? Um, how do you expect the team to grow? And like, what types of skills do you need uh, from, from teams? Blockers. Like, and like, I think just a lot of the stuff that we, we heard, um, obviously is like things that we were a little bit beyond us at, at some level. But then we started to see a little bit of these like clusters, right? And mm-hmm. of like, okay, there's clearly some pain around kind of just managing invoices and bills. Um, and it also just is a, is a really like, I don't know, uh, digestible kind of initial starting point of, of the problem. Um, I'll pull this up really quickly. Um, so another thing that we had done after we did some of the research was we started to look at um, the overall journey of of uh, of a uh, of, um, of a finance team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like it kind of starts off with a wallet and it ends with closing your books in an accounting system like QuickBooks and NetSuite and Zero. And so I remember we we were just talking and I put this orange line in there of like, whoa, what if we kind of helped you? From this whole like end-to-end experience but then it's like well, where do you start and then you know where's the, where's the pain points and so we started to fill out based on some of the conversations that we had like some of the opportunities that we see in some of these spaces the cons of some of the products that they had to use um, and i think this is what kind of really helped us focus in more closely on like the accounting part of it and then um, also sort of the spend and maybe less of the invest maybe the spend and the accounting is like a good starting point so it's interesting to me just on the research side because i think um uh, one of the the inherent paradoxes of research is, you know, th- there's no end to the research that you can do, right? Mm-hmm. And there's an infinite number of questions that you can ask, and every time you answer a question, it begets new questions and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think one thing that uh, a lot of researchers don't fully understand is that without a vision to attach it to, yeah, right, the research doesn't really make sense, right? Because you have nothing constraining what you're talking about here. Yep. And so it's interesting you started with this you know, this understanding of how do, how do we reimagine financial operations, right? Um, which allowed you to have much more focused conversations with really open-ended questions mm-hmm. to map out all these different products and problems and, and things they like and things they don't like and all that sort of stuff to come up with clarity around a kind of like finance user journey, mm-hmm. right? And so from all, I'm sure, the significant number of conversations you have, you've distilled it down into this artifact that has a tremendous amount of like clarity to it that allows you to, to pick this is actually the right spot, yeah. right? And that's where, from a founder's side, that research is super powerful um, to helping you pick that spot if you're thoughtful enough to go and have all those open-ended conversations before you've decided what you're going to build. Exactly, exactly. Because then you kind of are, are you're a little biased and you're kind of asking questions in a certain way that will lead you know, to those answers and things that you, you want to hear. Um, the other thing too that, you know, we, we kind of see is like, I mean, you can clearly see like, like these tools, like there's, there's a, a big list and this is old now, but if I were to like add in, I mean, it would take up most of the page. But the problem I think fundamentally in, in just tackling a product in this space is that you are quickly having to choose between breadth and depth in everything that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at just the accounting problem alone, okay, well, do you want to account for every blockchain? Um, well, 
to, you know, there's three new blockchains that actually just launched and there's a user that's willing to pay you X amount of dollars if you can add their blockchain. But you have this backlog of all these other things you, that you still wanted to do. So, so what do you do? Um, and then if you look at just like accounts payable alone, well, accounts payable has so many different intricacies of like what makes it good. So, you know, one of the things that's really common is like OCR technologies, being able to like bring in an invoice and, and pull data from it. Um, you know, being able to pull in more of these like uh, accounting primitives, like classes, departments, um, being able to like screen wallet addresses against um, sanctions lists and so on and so right. forth. Yeah. And so it's like you have all this depth there. And then even in accounting, you have all this breadth of like all these things that you have to tackle. Because then even within every blockchain, then you have to think about the gain and loss. Mm -hmm. Do you, are you able to de de decipher the different types of events that are happening? Which one's an NFT sale? Which one is, um, you know, a purchase of crypto on, on a certain exchange? Um, so on and so forth. And so it's like, you, you have to be ambitious, but you also have to be pragmatic in how you build. And I think that's the biggest challenge of, of doing this, doing this well. Like we talk a lot about like the, the, like it's the, the, the financial like Legos. Mm -hmm. um, or like Tetris a little bit. It's like everything that you build is like stacking a piece, a block on, on top of another. And then every journey you add on their block, you have a new product. And it's like, you have to always be conscious of like, now that we have these three blocks, how much more useful is this product? Yeah. And, yeah. You're fighting against the entropy of what you could work on yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's, it's so exciting to look at all this and say, we want to do all of it. And yeah. like, there's no doubt that we do, but you can't, you can't, just jump right in. And I think that you see that a little bit with founders too, where it's like they just yeah. want to do yeah. everything. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to lose a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so this is just kind of a little bit about the why. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, really the other thing too is that you want to bring, like, the, the big opportunity isn't in the crypto finance people, it's the traditional ones that we're going to bring over yeah. to crypto. And so it's like, why would they ever, if this is what... And now you're framing these questions as rather like why you should invest in us for, it's more, you know, uh, here's transitions we think are going to happen. How do we help further those along? This is the thing that's blocking it and unlocks all this new opportunity that doesn't exist yet. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. for sure. Because the thing too, a lot of people will say about crypto is like, oh, well, it's such a small market. Like, why would you build in that space or why should we invest? Right. I heard the internet used to be a small market too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is uh... Crazy yeah. There's the famous, was it Paul Krugman said the internet was going to be nothing more than a fad, like the fax machine or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so could, could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's, you know, trying to weave a little bit of humor um, into it, but also just kind of humanizing people as well, yeah. right? It's like, you kind of need to enjoy what you do. And, yeah. and, if, and if, you know, you're a finance professional doing all this menial kind of manual work, like, that's not what you wanted to do. Like you want to be more thinking about strategy and, and a lot of the things that are more high impact for a business. Yeah. But you can't when you know you have to deal with um, kind of more of the annoying stuff. Um, yeah. And so, kind of talk a little bit about you know how Web three is like this future of finance, but the infrastructure almost feels like dated or old or archaic in some ways. It's like what you're having to do. It's like it's almost kind of like what it was when you were using paper with how manual a lot of that was. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we kind of talked about with like crypto payments is that it's almost kind of synonymous with like dealing with paper checks. Yeah. And, and, and that moment that we had uh, is, is sort of... It's like, so funny when you're trying to tell this kind of a story, like if you like, think about it really high level, right? You're talking about, we're going to do this super new crazy thing and it's going to be totally unlike anything that's come before, right? Yeah. And I have 15 minutes to help you understand why this is a useful thing of your time. The importance of metaphors, right? And I think 
that translates even beyond obviously pitch decks and whatnot to like talking with customers, talking with teammates and stakeholders, right? You know, anytime you need to communicate these big different ideas, you know, trying to find the right metaphor to help people get in the right headspace of yeah. the type of change we're talking about. For sure. For sure. And I think what, what ultimately helps there too is that like, I think one, as founders, like really understanding your users really well, yeah. but then also kind of pulling in folks who can help you with telling that story or like rehearsing or, or testing things with different who's, people. Who's that for you? Yes, yeah, so for us, it was like working really closely with Elon and Jason, who kind of helped us weave this story. But at the same time, it was pulling in folks like Roble and yeah. um, some different advisors and, and folks that are kind of friendly to us in the space. That um, These people are your sounding boards to be like, hey, does this metaphor land? Does yeah. this whatever? And then yeah. they'll be like, yeah, or like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's kind of always have to be open to it. And then now we finally start to talk about right. solution. You've already primed them with like all this information that helps lay the groundwork. And yeah. now you're ready to talk about your product. Yeah, and, and I guess like one anecdote on this, I remember we were asking an investor friend about our deck early on. He was like, well, you guys are really talking about your product so late in the deck. But I think for us, it's almost kind of important that we do because of all the different connotations that people just automatically will go to mm -hmm. when they think about crypto accounting or, or payments. Like, oh, who needs that? There's only like 50 crypto companies. Right. Well, now that you understand like how big of a problem it is, how big of an opportunity it is, that maybe now sense. we can start to kind of weave in some of this. And so just talk about making it crypto more business friendly, um, unifying is how much of their time they're having to spend right now on like admin type of stuff versus the high value work that they really want to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you make it a bit more um, part of a business kind of more friendly uh, fitting in their kind of workflows and stack, now all of a sudden it doesn't look so different. That's the other thing too, is like everything has to then flow still into like the single source of truth. How do you make crypto look like fiat? I think is the big uh, overarching goal. And so it's like kind of showing some of the different ways that we try to do that. Um, if you think about just like AP alone, how much more time you could be saving. Um, and then time savings being a really big value even with finance teams. Um, and then just kind of talking about like collaboration. And, you know, one of the big inspirations for us was like um, what Figma kind of did that I think was so much cooler than, than so many other like design tools that we'd used in the past was like the real-time collaboration. Mm -hmm. Real-time collaboration like extends beyond design. Mm -hmm. Like every, every surface kind of needs it. If you think about finance, like folks are having to jump on calls and say, hey, I have these 10 transactions that we need to review together. What if all of a sudden you could comment or, or chat about a transaction uh, in the same way that you do on Figma. It's really, it's really neat too, like what, um, I, I think anytime you're trying to build some big new fancy thing, it's like there's this desire and thought to create a new way, you yeah. know, kind of thing. But and often it's like, which kind of want to be is more of like, almost like a virus, right? Where yeah. you kind of get to enter the host, which is whatever they're already doing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the idea of making these crypto payments look like regular payments or feel like that too. I remember with, with us, you know, one of the things that was a late realization was like, well, we look at a lot of the media that people consume. Mm -hmm. It's like sh a lot of it is short form content. It's like bespoke. It's talking into the phone. It's kind of, and that ended up being a much more engaging way for people to learn than yeah. some of the longer form stuff that we were super focused on early on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so just copy the design patterns that are already working exactly. and do a new thing in that way. For sure, for sure. It's like the, the heuristic of like familiarity in, yeah. in some ways. Um, yeah, and just talking about how we, you know, obviously are still thinking about a lot of compliance. Um, 
And then now we like, let's look at competitors a little bit because obviously investors love to know. It's <laughs> right. uh, my least favorite slide, yeah. like the competition slide. I feel like I'm just making shit up. When yeah. I do this stuff. It's like, how many companies do you put? What are the axes? Who knows? Yeah. I just know I'm up and to the right. That's yeah, all exactly. you need to understand. Okay? <laughs> Um, I, the irony of all this too is that, like, you know, I, obviously if your competitors were to see this, I'm like, no, we're doing that too. Yeah, right, it's right, on, right. it's in Q4. <laughs> um, <My least> favorite. <laughs> yeah, um, and then this one's just kind of going more to the aspirational part of, of what we do. And so, I kind of told you a little bit about this, like, thing of like Stripe for developers and Figma for designers, like actual for accountants, and mm -hmm. championing them and being a brand that's, you know, that like loves them and, and you know treats them like the real MVPs of business because they are. It's like. A lot of times, you know, who do you see on on CNBC or like who's the person getting featured in, in you know Forbes or whatever? It's it's usually the the CEOs and you know yeah. the technical people. It's never finance. never finance. Finance are like the backbone of every business. Um, I think it's great too. Like it it kind of fits into your, you know, the, I think it's uh, one of the things that's underrated about starting like a company like this. It's, you know, it's really hard, mm -hmm. and you really have to like really want. The people you're building it for to be successful and happy yeah like really want that and yeah. and maybe you can't be like empathetic towards them because you've never done what they do but you can definitely be pushing really hard for their success and if mm -hmm. you don't have that i think it's i think it's got to be impossible so yeah it's interesting and a little bit about go to market and you know this flywheel yeah. and how we're kind of working to do that and then kind of wrapping it up what a, a great team <laughs> yeah. um what are some of the things that you think um has uh, some of the opportunities that you guys have been able to pursue or some of the success you've been able to find that would have been a lot harder without that skill set on the team? That, yeah, that's such a good question. Um, it's funny too, because I mean, you just, I just think about my career, like more often than not, design hasn't been valued. Yeah. You know, you're, you're the voice fighting to be in the room. You're looking at calendars and saying, why am I not invited to this strategy conversation? Or why am I not helping with, you know, roadmap planning and so on and so forth. And so, um, I think naturally, you know, as, as, as engineers and as product folks, it's like, we'll just have, design's kind of like the, the pixel pusher, you know, just gonna have them like, when we're ready, we got the docs, we know what we're building, let's just give them the thing that finally make the wireframes. Um, but you really are underutilizing design, obviously, when you do that. And so I think one of the things that was really kind of valuable early on, and I think one of the things that kind of helped our team was a little bit of the subject matter expertise that I came with as a designer, mm -hmm. having built in the space. And so I think that like one of the things that you're always trying to do as a designer is build credibility and trust with your stakeholders. Um, and so I'd say I looked out a little bit in that sense with, with my co-founders. Um, but I think second to that, um, I think they really understand that like if we're going to build a product that finance teams love, like we need to build a great product and a great product needs great design. And I'd say that like it, it's one of those things where like they are like we we know that you can do this for us and that your part of this work is going to be really helpful. Um, but at the same time, like imagining it more beyond just the, the interface, but like how we have conversations and some of the takeaways that I would take from, you know, a research session versus some of the things that they might hear. And it's like a lot of these things, you can always see that like design just has a different perspective a little bit. And I mean, not to like boast about design, but like I think there really is a certain way that we, we think in a certain way that we like kind of look at problems, frame problems, frame solutions um, that just naturally helps people look at things. I think that artifact that you had that shows like, like here's the finance journey. Mm -hmm. Like that is a very designer centric way yeah. of like mapping information mm -hmm. that uh, if you haven't done that kind of work, 
you might not look at it the same way, that frame of reference allows you to find the right point of attack. Yeah. Um, which, which is really interesting. And obviously, like the visual, I feel like this is, you know, a super underrated part. And we talk all the time, I think designers talk about how it's not just how it looks, it's how it works, right? Yeah. And it's like, you know, we do more than, than make pretty pixels. Yeah. But I've got to say, like, good looking pixels is actually also really important, yeah. right? Like, anytime, I never understood this. I was always wondering why people invested so much in brand and making their brand look a certain way. And yeah. When you invest a lot in this, like, representation of you mm -hmm. and what you're doing and you you try and make it beautiful and try and make it feel just right and try and make it whatever reflect back on your customers it tells them about how the rest of their interactions with you is going to go That's such a great point right That's such a great when point. the sign when the sign up experience is like effortless and fast and smooth and easy it tells them that it's probably going to be pretty straightforward to figure out how to get this thing to work yeah right yeah um, and I think that's a super underestimated under and important part of that. It's even the superficial stuff is not superficial. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and, and you know, even even saying that, it kind of reminds me of um, the Patrick O'Shaughnessy podcast that uh, Patrick and John did, where they <coughs> from Stripe, where they were talking about yeah, like it, exactly. It's like seeing a, a beautiful a crafted experience probably would mean that the engineers probably. Put that same level of level and of intention and, and quality into that as well, and how even if there was some research that came out, I remember Patrick saying this that like design actually doesn't contribute to the bottom line. He still would do it every every 100%. time, and I just love that like you know here we have you know a, a leader of one of the most successful like fintech companies. Mm. Like, why is design even in the conversation? If you look at like J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, it's like why is Stripe even thinking about that? But then if you look at what, why Stripe has become Stripe. I mean, you can kind of see why. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Part of it. Two things I'd love to end on. Uh, mm -hmm. One is, uh, I think there's like this m myth that in order to be a successful startup founder, it's like, you know, grow up in San Francisco, go to Stanford, work at Facebook and Google, and then you start some crazy cool company, right? Um, and I think the evidence is actually not true that that's, that's how the outlier events happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'd love to know what your perspective is on that as someone, you know, who grew up in, in Grand Rapids and did the design work that you did prior to getting into tech and how that's kind of influenced how you think about that and your success. And then the, the second thing is, you know, advice you have around, um, you know, whether it's designers or UX professionals in general who are thinking about taking that step of starting something, you know, what are some of the biggest hurdles you think they'll have? they'll have to overcome or that you've overcome and how that, how that went out. So maybe yeah. we can start with, you know, the, the not being at Stanford and Google yeah. and Facebook situation. For sure. For sure. It's definitely something that, you know, was always an insecurity of mine growing up. Um, like, I'm like, man, like, how could I ever be in, you know, these big cities and, and, and have a job at like a really like cool company if I don't, you know, have this background or have even gone to school for design. So my, I, I studied advertising. In, really? in, in college, yeah. Right. <laughs> and so it's like even even from that perspective, you know, like how could a teak, you know, teak from Grand Rapids, Michigan, be, yeah. be doing something like this? Um, but, but I think at the end of the day, um, a lot of it kind of, I think so much of like progression is the compounded bets that you have in life that other people kind of bet on you. And I think that when you look at some of the, the pedigree of the, the Stanford grad who, you know, had the internships at Insta, uh, Facebook and Instagram and, you know, whatever, um, those bets started a lot earlier in life. 
Mm. Um, and, and so it's a little easier to, to kind of have a path that looks more like that. And I mean, in some senses, it's, it's, it's impressive, but, but it's also like you kind of had to expect that to happen a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say that I think now what's happening, um, which is really great, is that um, I think the access to just uh, having people bet on you is, is sort of um, becoming a little more distributed, a little more decentralized, uh, democratized. Um, I mean, I even think back to like, you know, one of the, the early experiences I had with like um, UXR Conf. Like that was a bet that Alec took on a teak, you know? The easy bet to take. Your talk was great. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. But, but really, I think that, that so much of that just comes from reaching out and, and, and kind of widening your surface area of luck in some of those ways for people to take that bet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, that, and that goes looking beyond your city in some ways and, and reaching out to people. I mean, we were just talking about Roble from Shopify. Um, now I connected with Roble really, really early on when I was still doing marketing. Um, but, you know, fostered a relationship there. And, you know, I remember sending my first product design portfolio to him and, and getting feedback. And I think that the networks, obviously, is really important. So just building that network of people um, and not feeling, like, intimidated by it at all. Um, and, and I think that, like, realizing that there's people who probably want to meet you too. Like, there's, there's you know, uniqueness to who you are and, and all these other things. And so um, maybe kind of blending the answers a little bit here. But I'd say that, like, a big part of my experience was was getting those, those, those compounding bets in my career as well. Um, you know, having worked at a startup and then that startup letting me kind of meet a lot of different people um, and, you know, work on, on really complex things. And, um, you know, I remember the storage was the company I was at and um, I, was at a, I was at a conference that Dan Petty put on in, in, uh, in, in Denver, I forget the, uh, Breckenridge in, in Colorado. And I met Connie Yang, who was the, uh, the design director at Coinbase at the time. And so we were both kind of in these affinities of Web3, um, met and, you know, it was just sort of like, oh, you know, we're doing these kind of similar things. And I remember when I was in, interviewing at Stripe, um, I told them, hey, I'm thinking about maybe joining Coinbase. Like, I'm talking to them as well. And they're like, no way. Um, we just had the design director from, from Coinbase join Stripe. And I'm like, no way. Is it Connie? I remember at the time, it was sort of like, I didn't know if I was going to get the job at Stripe. <laughs> and then I remember the moment that it was like Connie met me and it was like, oh my gosh, like we would love to have you. And so it was like, it was a bet that Connie and the rest of the team kind of made, but, but it took me, you know, realizing she's at the conference and, and going up to her and talking to her and meeting her the next week when I was in San Francisco. And um, I don't know, kind of hustling, I guess, in, in, in some ways. And, and that, that hustling leading to relationships um, and, and, that, um, and those relationships leading to, to, to people who, I don't know, want, want to see you win too. Um, and I think that a big part of it is... Um, yeah, I guess a lot of those types of things. I love that. So putting yourself out there, not being afraid to do it. So just hitting up this random guy from Shopify when you were just getting started and yeah. getting feedback. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, that turns into more valuable relationship yeah. years down the line. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, and I've I have some experiences like that too, where actually with with same guy too, Robla, yeah. <laughs> for example. Um uh, and not being afraid to, to do it. Like, what's the worst someone's going to say no? Yeah. I mean, because even, I'm not a researcher, right? So it, it, I remember it was a coworker that had shared um, the call for speakers uh, for yeah. the UXR conf. And I'm like, Jacqueline, I don't think I, I can speak at this. And she's like, yeah, you can. Like, you do research. Yeah. You should apply. Yeah. And I did. And, and it was like, you know, I'm so glad that I did. And, yeah. and um, Well, it's funny, too, because, um, and I think, 
there's, I, I speak for myself, like, you know, we're talking about the whole, like, the Stanford to Facebook kind of like, you know, commuter train. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, one of the huge benefits to going a different way is, you know, you have this very unique story and a unique way that you can connect with, with people. Um, and if you're on the Stanford to Google or Facebook commuter train, you have the same story as everybody else. Yeah. And so your ability to kind of like try different things, connect with people, you're kind of on a path that's like standardized for you. And so you, you have less opportunities to like maybe take some risks or mm -hmm. feel like you can't take some risk. You know, you're competing with other people to get that next promotion within your age bracket or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool, man. Um, final words of advice for anybody who is in, in design or UX or whatever, who is thinking about starting out any wise words of wisdom to yeah. share? For sure. Well, I mean, who the world needs more design-led companies. Um, I think that it's evident in the success of companies like Airbnb. Um, and if anyone's ever heard Ryan Chesky speak, it's just like, you're like, wow, like I see, I see this. Like he's a designer like me, you know? Yeah. Um, and even like, you know, recent folks like Kari and, and the success of Linear, like the world didn't need another product management tool. But yeah, Linear is just so great. But, and it's, yeah. yeah. But it needed him. It needed and him. it needed Brian, exactly. right? And it needs you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and so I really say that that's that's a big thing, and and I think that there's a ton of resources. I mean, even venture funds that have these accelerator programs that are for design designers, um, like uh, like design, like the Designer Fund, um, like um, a few others that that I yeah. can share as well. But cool, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Shout out to all the people who take bets on on folks early. Connie Robla. Uh, anyone else needs a shout out? Alec. Al <laughs> you're not forgotten. You're much appreciated. So those of you who are thinking about giving it a shot, you got nothing to lose. Give it a try. Atik, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks Great so much, to finally see you in person yes. all these years later. And I can't wait to see the success of Actual. Thanks so much. Um, I think it's going to be pretty big. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Alec. All right, that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>